Did people protest against mask wearing during the Spanish flu pandemic? The internet says it's true. Welcome to The Internet Says It's True, where every week we learn something that sounds like it's made up, but it's really true. Part of the WCBE podcast experience. My name is Michael, and I'm going to keep this short. I have COVID. It's awful. I've been in bed for a week. I have lost 12 pounds. And uh, I wanted to get a new episode to you, but I just couldn't do it this week. So I'll say this. I'm vaccinated, boosted, and this still sucks hard. You don't want it if you haven't gotten it yet. If you go to big public events with a lot of people, wear a mask. You don't want this. Here's an episode about masks that I did a year ago. I'm going to read you something I found on the internet. This is a doctor in Boston, Oliver Cranston. He was asked about his opinion of people who are pushing back against life-saving measures like masking and closures of schools and churches due to the pandemic. He said, quote, I cannot help but be impatient or intolerant at some of the views expressed. Cranks should not be permitted to hamper the precautionary measures of the public officials. End quote. That again was a quote from a Boston doctor, Oliver P. Cranston, and it was a quote from December of 1918. That's what this week's episode is about. There were anti-maskers during the 1918 flu pandemic, what came to be known as the Spanish flu. If you're like me and you hear that quote, you probably think it was something pulled from a recent interview with Dr. Anthony Fauci, right? That's because what we're seeing now in 2021 happened in 1918. In fact, just about any time an authority like the government tells people they should do something, they push back. Listen to this audio from a 1984 news report about seatbelts. If everybody has to buckle up or pay a $10 fine, businessmen say they'll stop and shop and get their haircut somewhere else. Customers agree. I oppose it on the basis that it replaces the free will of the individual with the desires of the state. Whether we have the responsibility, whether we have the judgment to turn to the citizens of the state and be there In 1984, Big Brother. So similarly, when the CDC recommended that mask wearing can help to fight the spread of COVID-19, people pushed back. But for a lot of those people, the ever-changing and updating of the science has confused them. Social media sources like YouTube and Facebook are ripe with misinformation about the pandemic. So if the CDC says one thing about masks and then updates their recommendation, A meme or post about the old guidelines can get spread just as much, if not more, than the newer recommendations. Or the very fact that they used to recommend that, but now they're recommending this, can be used in bad faith to show that they don't know what they're talking about. There's this quote that I love when people argue that, well, science isn't perfect. Science doesn't know all the answers. The thing that proves science wrong is more science, newer, better science. I don't intend to use this podcast as a soapbox, but let me give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Early in the pandemic, in February of 2020, the U.S. Surgeon General told Americans to stop buying masks. At one point, it was said that they were needed by medical professionals and that they didn't help the public enough for them to eat up the supply of masks. Then again, in March of 2020, we were told that healthy people not working in healthcare don't need to wear masks. Then one month later, April of 2020, health officials learned that people who don't appear to be sick are playing a larger than expected role in the spread. So new guidelines 
were to wear a mask in a public setting while traveling or around others in the same household who might be infected. This stance is strengthened in July when the CDC comes out with a study that seems to show that masking is definitely helping to slow the spread. From then on, almost all of the experts agree that masking is beneficial when it comes to curbing transmission of COVID. Major cities implement mask mandates and it's still a hotly debated topic in the nation's schools. On Facebook, you'll see people using the previous statements from early last spring about masks not being required for healthy people to prove their anti-masking points. And even more dangerous, false Facebook memes keep popping up reportedly showing that mask wearers are showing up to ICUs with antibiotic-resistant strains of pneumonia. These have all been proven false. Reuters and other outlets have repeatedly debunked claims that mask wearing is a cause of bacterial pneumonia. Peer-reviewed studies in all the top medical journals have shown the effectiveness of mask wearing, but that doesn't stop the spread of the false and outdated information. There's even this controversial group, America's Frontline Doctors, who have made statements like, quote, masks are useless, end quote. That's an actual quote from one of the people affiliated with this group, Dr. Lee Merritt, who is an orthopedic surgeon. But MedPage Today, which is a peer-reviewed medical news site, found that none of the doctors affiliated with this group have treated any seriously ill COVID patients. None are infectious disease experts or ICU medical staff. One of the America's frontline doctors made the news by tweeting about the dangers of having sexual relations with demons and witches in their dreams and coming into contact with demon sperm. Yet people continue to point to information put out by this group by sharing their videos. YouTube has taken action to remove videos that promote dangerous misinformation about the pandemic, and Facebook has added warnings on the memes, but they're still being spread around. And that is why we hear stuff like this. You literally cannot mandate somebody to wear a mask knowing that that mask is killing people. It literally is killing people. And my, the people, we the people, are waking up. And we know what citizen's arrest is, because citizen's arrests are already happening. Okay, and every single one of you that are obeying the devil's laws are going to be arrested and you, doctor, are going to be arrested. Angry rants at city council meetings, school board meetings on airplanes and stores. This fight against masks has turned really ugly. Where I live here in Hilliard, Ohio, it's turned into a heated issue in the upcoming election for the school board. Some claim it's about freedom. They say it's okay to wear masks, but nobody should be telling you to wear a mask. Some claim it's about science. One Ohio politician claimed it's because wearing a mask is covering up the face that God made in his image. But here's what I find fascinating. During the flu pandemic of 1918, the same thing happened. And we'll talk about that after a quick word from some of the people who helped make this show possible. The camera zooms in on me. So we get out. some high proof alcohol. We get gasoline. Anything that says what funny. makes our lives worth living is our mortality. If there were not mortality, we wouldn't be. Luckily for me, most of the beauty pageants that I've um, participated in don't. I've know. done my fair share of blood. Man. I've always liked showing myself off naked. Got up out of the seat, walked to me, and then slapped me. Spontaneous conversation with people from around the world on Stranger Than Christian, available on your favorite podcast app and at StrangerThanChristian.com. Every college has that one professor who everyone wants to take a class with before they graduate. I know at Ohio State where I went, there were classes with huge wait lists because the professors were so popular. One Day University brings all those professors together to present incredible live streamed talks online 
for thousands of members every day. They've got more than 200 of these top professors from all over the country, from Yale, Harvard, Columbia, UCLA. It's pretty incredible. Every weekday, One Day University offers a new one-hour live stream talk followed by a Q&A with the professor. And that's something you don't get in college without having to schedule office hours and it's a whole thing. This is much easier. You can learn something new every time, kind of like you do by listening to this podcast. I just watched a professor from Amherst College give an awesome presentation on the science of happiness that's going to stick with me. Also, I got a kick out of a class called Ranking the Presidents, Our Best and Worst by a professor from Lynn University. But you don't have to get accepted into Lynn or Amherst or Harvard or Yale. One Day University membership is just $8.95 a month or $89 a year, and it includes unlimited access to the daily live streams, plus more than 500 past recorded talks. You can try two weeks for free, and because you listen to this podcast, if you use the promo code INTERNET and sign up for an annual plan, you get your first year half off. Can't beat that. Check out One Day University by going to onedayu.com slash internet or use the link in the show notes. I'm not a guy who wears blazers very often, but I've been wearing my new Scotty Vest sport coat like every day. It has 19 pockets. It makes me feel like 007 when I'm wearing it. The fit is great. The material is durable. And that's not even their most popular item. They have great, useful jackets for traveling, for hiking, and they're all built around having access to the stuff you need without carrying a bag. Tons of useful, functional pockets. I've known and loved this company for years, long before I ever had a podcast. My oldest Scotty Vest jacket is one they don't even make anymore, and it's still in perfect condition after wearing it for years. The best thing you can do is take a look at all the awesome pocket-packed clothing on their website. Give them a look at scottyvest.com, and just by listening to this show, you get 15% off your order. Enter the promo code TELLME, all one word, T-E-L-L-M-E. It's scottyvest.com, promo code TELLME. Now let's get back to the story. In September of 1918, the district chapter of the Red Cross distributed anti-grip masks to every soldier barracked in the Washington, D.C. area and to every patient at Walter Reed. Grip was another word for the flu. It was the first known instance in the history of the United States in which masks were used outside of the medical community to fight disease. One month later, D.C. health officials started suggesting the general public should wear masks and they began printing signs to post around the city. The flu had worked its way through the nation and was in the midst of a second wave that fall. The second wave was much more deadly than the first. In fact, most of the 675,000 American deaths happened not on the initial round of infections, but in this second wave. Globally, 500 million people, one-third of the world's population, had caught what people were calling the Spanish flu. By the way, the only reason it became known as the Spanish flu is because as it was spreading throughout Europe, the press in Spain was the only country that didn't suppress the news. In other places, they were concerned with hurting morale while the world was at war. So 500 million caught the 1918 H1N1 flu, and 50 million died worldwide. Compare 675,000 U.S. deaths with the number of U.S. deaths from COVID in just around 18 months, 710,000. During that second wave in 1918, army camps were being hit hard with it. One camp, Camp Devens in Boston, saw one quarter of their soldiers infected. 
and 757 of them died by the end of September. New York City's Board of Health required all people with the flu to isolate at home if they weren't in a hospital. By winter, public health officials were warning about the dangers of coughing, sneezing, or spitting in public. One health official, Morrison Swift, wrote a letter to the editor that suggested until there was a vaccine, the thing that people needed to do now was avoid mingling in crowds, and he suggested that people wear masks. And from there, the idea started spreading. Newspaper articles encouraged the wearing of masks, both through editorials and through ads placed by the Red Cross. Mandates followed. One of the most strict mask mandates occurred in the city of San Francisco. Anyone caught disobeying the mask order was fined anywhere from $5 to $100 and 10 days in jail. Not everyone followed the order. San Francisco's mayor was publicly arrested for not wearing his mask properly. He had it hanging from his ear while he smoked a cigar and he was fined $5. Others complained that the masks got in the way of doing their job. In October, 110 people were arrested in San Francisco for either refusing to wear masks or refusing to wear them properly. A popular thing for men to do was to cut a hole in the mask to allow them to smoke. By 1919, the Anti-Mask League of San Francisco was formed. It included doctors, citizens, and civil libertarians. Their meetings brought anywhere from four to 5,000 attendees. They held heated debate arguing against the wearing of masks. Some cited a lack of scientific data showing that masks were effective. Others claimed that the masks infringed on their freedoms. Mask orders just like San Francisco's were put into place in Washington, D.C., Phoenix, Indianapolis, and Oklahoma City. New York City was being hit hard by the pandemic, but only issued a mandate for people in certain public-facing professions. Here's a quote from an ad that the Red Cross ran. Quote, Doctors wear them. Those who do not wear them get sick. The man or woman or child who will not wear a mask now is a dangerous slacker. End quote. Here's another thing that's particularly interesting. The masks of 1918 were usually made of thin gauze, and we now know that public masking made very little difference to the pandemic in those years. Also, masks were mostly encouraged to be worn outdoors, but not indoors. The materials being used weren't like they are now, so those anti-maskers back then protesting the science were probably right. And that's the biggest difference between then and now. Today's masks, particularly N95 masks and the ones that are being encouraged by healthcare professionals. An N95 mask filters out 95% of particles in the air as small as 0.3 microns. The coronavirus is 0.1 micron, but it's usually attached to something larger like droplets of moisture from breathing and talking. The moral of the story is that we've had 100 years to get the science of masks right and the anti-mask voices have only gotten louder with less evidence. Maybe we need to institute those $5 fines again. Of course, $5 in 1918 money is around $90 today. But we all know that could never be done. Most people in 1918 were patriotic. The anti-mask voices back then were a very small percentage of the population, especially compared with how it is now. Their husbands and sons and fathers were in the middle of fighting a war. Children were going around collecting charcoal to be used in gas masks for our soldiers in France. Ignorance didn't get amplified by social media. And people cared about each other just a little bit more.
Now it's time for the part of the podcast where I call a friend. Today I'm calling Kelly Collette. Kelly has been a finalist on CMT's Next Big Comic. She tours clubs and colleges throughout the country. Her jokes have been featured on Pandora and SiriusXM and in a segment for NPR. She filmed a special for Dry Bar Comedy in November 2020, and she was also named Cincinnati's favorite comedian by City Beat Cincinnati Magazine. Kelly, it is so good to see you. Uh, Thanks for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. We met a long time ago. It's actually the only time we've ever met. You were in college. I'm glad you remembered you were, you were in college at uh, in Kentucky, and I yep. performed at your college. This was before yep. you were a comedian. In fact, you were uh, the reason that we met was because I believe that you twisted a balloon dog for me or something. You made some sort of balloon thing for me. It's either a dog or a sword. Oh, I think <laughs> you're right. I think it's a sword. I'm gonna have to go f- try to find. Uh, there's a photo somewhere, I believe. I, I couldn't let you have all the fun up there. I had to make about me apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I should have had you open the act with uh, balloon animals. How were you to know that I was a star? I just did. sitting in the audience. I, you never know. You never know uh, who who your audience is. I once performed for Jason Aldean's sister, and you would think that that wouldn't be a big deal or something that would be notable until like we had gone to a Jason Aldean show a couple weeks after that, and I took a photo uh, of Jason Aldean and put it on my Instagram. And then she commented, now you've met the whole family. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, well, that's my brother. It was just a weird thing. You never know who's in the audience. Uh, also, why is her entire family just turned her brother? She's not going to like. That's true. My grandma. I've never met her, her folks. That is yeah. true. <laughs> that's good. That was well, when you're- such a fun meeting. Because then I, then I wrote you and I was like, hey, I'm thinking about trying stand up. So I kind of credit you. With my first time I was ever on stage, you kind of talked me off of a ledge of trying some really, really weird stuff that I wasn't planning on doing. You're like, just go be funny. And I took your advice. That's good. I'm happy to hear that. I've never heard a story where it was like, oh, you told me to do stand up and it was the worst decision I ever made. Now I hate you. Oh, yeah. No, you totally ruined my life. But I just (laughs) want to give you like a little shout out. Good. Sorry, my dog is um, sniffing around on the ground. I can hear the jingling of the yeah. of the tags. Oh, weenie dog. Hi. Awesome. My dogs aren't allowed down here because uh there this is just a it's a mess in this studio is like a whole thing. Um there's just stuff laying around everywhere. Oh, that's so, a nice studio. When did you start working for Fox News? Uh, <laughs> um, it's very, very big and bright. Well, yeah. I I would say my big break was meeting the Aldine family. Uh that got me <laughs> It was a, it was a springboard to to Fox yeah. News. Yeah. Question one, Kelly. For this first okay. question, we're playing for a joke. So if you get it right, I have to tell a joke. If you get it wrong, you'll tell me one. And it can be a jokey okay. joke, a joke book joke. It doesn't have to be you know something from your from your material. That's perfect. Which I one? Okay, good, good. Which one of these groups formed as a response to the flu pandemic of 1918? So one of these groups formed as a direct response. A the CDC. B, the Anti-Mask League of San Francisco, or C, the Anti-Coughing Patrol of New York? So, CDC sounds about right. The Anti-Coughing Patrol sounds ridiculous enough it could be true. And anti-maskers, you know, might have been around back then as well. I'm going to go with B. The Anti-Mask League of San Francisco? I guess so. You are correct. 
The Anti-Mask League of San Francisco was a direct response to mask mandates in 1918 in San Francisco, one of the strictest places in the country for the masking. They were fining people and they were even threatening putting people in jail for 100 days. The mayor was fined $5 for smoking a cigar while his mask was hanging off his ear. It was a whole thing that mirrors exactly what's happening here. Wow, that's very interesting. So here's your joke. What do you call a fly with no wings? Uh, what do you, I don't know, Michael. What do you call a fly with no wings? A fly. The irony is unfortunate, but the name doesn't change. <laughs> Very good. I got a whole list of anti-jokes because um, our guest last week, Jimmy Mack, loves anti-jokes. So I found yeah, a whole bunch a- of them. That was a good episode. I'm very afraid the next question is going to be for push-ups, though. We're not doing push-ups this week. I'm still out of breath. I cannot do more (laughs) push-ups. That was a week ago, and I'm like, I literally, the next day, had pain in my pecs and my arms because it had been so long since I'd done anything physical activity. Like, pre-pandemic was the last time I did any physical activity. It's horrible. Now and you went straight 20. That's crazy. Straight to 20. Now, there was a time I could have done many more, and 20 was very difficult. I will say I did not turn the camera on for those of you watching the videos on Patreon. I did not turn the camera on the floor while I was doing them. So I could have faked the whole thing. But I swear Mm -hmm. to you here, I did not. Those were legitimate pushups. If you see me on the street and you think that I faked it, I'll do 20 for you. Anywhere you ask. (laughs) I shouldn't have said that. Question number two. Last week, uh, we did the pushups. This week, we're going to do a tongue twister. So instead of my arm getting a workout, my arms getting a workout, we'll get the the tongue workout. Uh, yeah. If you get it right, I'll say a tongue twister of your choice. If you get it wrong, I'll, I'll issue one to you. During this current yeah. pandemic, we've seen people going to the hospital and even dying because they're trying cures they read from their aunt's Facebook page rather than listening to doctors. In 1918, which one of these cures actually may have caused more flu deaths than it helped? A. Aspirin. B. Leech-based bloodletting. Or C. Horse dewormer. All right. Um, so I know they were super into leeches. They were like the hot commodity. They were like the Gucci bag of the medical world back then. So I'm going to go with leeches. The answer, believe it or not, is aspirin. Can you believe that? Yeah. Uh, one hypothesis suggests that many flu deaths could actually be attributed to aspirin poisoning. Medical authorities at the time recommended large doses of aspirin, up to 30 grams a day. And to give you reference, Today, a maximum safe daily dose is like four grams. So they were giving 30 grams of aspirin, and that can lead to many of the symptoms of that pandemic, which included bleeding. So um, I have to give you a tongue twister now. Uh, I'm for it. Here it is. I wish to wash my Irish wristwatch. And maybe like five times. I wish to wash my Irish wristwatch. I wish to wash my Irish wish watch, wristwatch. I wish to wash my Irish wristwatch. I wish to ro- wash my Irish wristwatch. <laughs> okay, we've gotten that I point. hate it's, it. I know, oh. it's a good one, yeah. <laughs> you uh, have been getting through the pandemic through the art of art. Uh, you've been painting and posting your, your amazing paintings uh, on your social media and things like that. How is this something that you were always interested in and this just gave you a time to really let it fly? 
Absolutely. I think everybody should develop a COVID hobby. No, I, I, I never knew if I was good at painting. I, uh, our classes I took in high school were taught by this very uh, crotchety old man who, uh, you know, had his very strict rules of what was art and what wasn't. He was an awesome guy, uh, but never, like, I never had the, uh, uh, I guess, um, bravado to like try anything on my own and then I was like you know stuck in the house with COVID and I was like I need to do something just something you know and it's it's I interesting started. sometimes um putting constraints on art mm -hmm. can be a creative influence and sometimes taking those restraints off can be a creative influence and for me putting the restraints on is what gets me creative and it sounds like for you it was the opposite once you realized art doesn't have to be with this teacher told me it was it can be anything um now here's my question for you because you are selling your paintings right <laughs> some people have offered me money for them and to which i have said thank you yes commissioned uh, or after you've already made them both okay. sometimes yeah that's always nice so my question is this because i have my my pandemic hobby was photography specifically bird photography and i got i have gotten way into it but I'm yeah. afraid to monetize it. I'm afraid I've been offered like people are like, I want to buy your bird photos. Where can I buy them? And I've refused doing any of that because I'm afraid of ruining it. Has has doing it for money changed your level of obligation, your feeling about how you treat your hobby? I wish you I wish I had the integrity that you had. Um, <laughs> it, has, it has not. Um, I think it's because I don't charge a lot for my stuff okay so i'm still in the humble realm of oh yeah. my god i can't believe you want this from me um so i will charge you a very cheap rate even for commissions uh so yeah i am uh just making enough to buy more supplies if that yeah so hasn't ruined it. if anything i've ruined it <laughs> by having <laughs> having no self-confidence in my ability so but it's been fun. that's kind of why I don't want to monetize it is because I still don't have a ton of confidence. And part of that is because when you go out and you do bird photography, there are spots where people congregate, right? With if there's one mm -hmm. hot spot and you meet other photographers who have been doing it for 30 years. And I see these people and some of them may or may not sell their photos. But like, who am I to come in and start a hobby, you know, eight months ago, 10 months ago and be like, oh, I'm just going to start MichaelKentPhotos.com or whatever it is and like start selling birds, you know, bird photos to everyone. You know, you can't help it if people resonate with the thing that you're creating and um, as humble and as like, uh, you know, um, what's the word where you you have a phantom, like, you know, you, you're, you don't think you're the thing in your head. Yeah. Imposter syndrome is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. There's a tongue twister. Irish wish wash. Um, <laughs> imposter syndrome, as much as we have that, um, it's, it, you know, we can't be the gatekeeper of ourselves. Sometimes people can let us take that guard down and say, no, I do want this thing. So you can, you can, you know, take that wall down too. That's, that's be really, with, yeah, that's really great advice. Uh, and, and imposter syndrome is something that I think a lot of entertainers mm -hmm. struggle with. Um, right. because it's one of those things where it feels fake. I mean, it feels like a fake yeah. job, you know, so let's keep moving. Yeah. Question yeah, three okay. for this question. We're playing for a coveted, the internet says it's true sticker. These stickers are, uh, these are only available through Patreon or if you win the third question. So which one of these following celebrities considers themselves an anti-masker? Mm. A, Sarah Jessica Parker. 
B. Noel Gallagher, or C. Reese Witherspoon? Well, I don't think it's Reese. I don't know who Noel Gallagher is. Uh, oh, he's from Oasis, right? He is from Oasis. Definitely him. You should have had more confidence. Your, your imposter syndrome kicked in and thought made you think you yeah. didn't. Uh, you didn't know that one. I was like, wait a minute, I heard that guy's name. I think yeah. it's him. You think it's him? You are correct. It is Noel Gallagher. Yeah. Uh, his quote was, and I'm going to censor this because I keep this podcast uh, language clean. I don't oh. give an F. I choose not to wear one. If I get the virus, it's on me. It's not on anyone else. If every other C word is wearing a mask, I'm not going to catch it off them. And if I've got it, they're not going to catch it off me. I don't understand any of the logic that he's doing, but he's Noel Gallagher, famous for being a goon. And then he followed that quote by, so anyway, here's Wonderwall. (laughs) Uh, Oh, so that line, maybe you're going to be the one that saves me, isn't really true. He only (laughs) wants to save himself. So uh, you got that right, which means you will get an Internet Says It's True sticker uh, in the mail, which is exciting because Mm. there aren't many of these out there. And uh, if you want one and you're listening, uh, Patreon is only a dollar a month. It's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. I'll send you a sticker along with being able to see all the videos that we do, all of the interview videos every week you can watch. Uh, let's move on. You can question. See my dog. You can see my dog, which is worth a dollar. And the, during uh, the first question, I didn't mention this, but during the first question, when I asked that to Kelly, her dog was looking at her with wide <laughs> eyes saying, what are you going to say? What's it going to be? What do you think the answer is? It was very cute. Very puzzling. Question four. For this question, we're playing for five Twitter followers. So if you get it right, I will get you five Twitter followers the best I can. If you get it wrong, you've got to get me five. This person got in trouble last year for comparing wearing a mask to the Holocaust, tweeting that a grocery store chain's decision to let vaccinated employees go maskless while wearing vaccination logos was, quote, just like the Nazis forced Jewish people to wear a gold star, end quote. Who said that? Was it A, actor Charlie Sheen, B, comedian Dave Chappelle, or C, Georgia Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene? I was going to answer before he even read the answers, but I was like, well, if it's D, everybody's grandma, that could also be correct. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go with C, Voldemort. C, Voldemort is the answer. Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, she was later forced to apologize after visiting the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum um, because enough people on her side of the aisle got on her about saying that. And since then, many other people have said similar things. And no one has had to apologize, which is insane. I thought actor Charlie Sheen was maybe believable with this one, but I don't know. He seems like someone who would say something stupid. He seems like someone who wouldn't even know something's going on right now, though. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Well, you're going to I'm going to try to get you five Twitter followers because you got that right. Uh, Here's our final question, Kelly. And this one is for all the marbles. If you get this wrong, I'm banning you from the show. You'll never be asked on again. What? Here's your current question. What is currently inspiring you? I took a writing workshop last week. So that was very inspiring. Um, it was at a retreat center. It was with Cheryl Strayed. Um, she's a famous author. She wrote the book Wild, which um, a lot of white women have read uh, who are having midlife crises. So um, 
that was very inspiring because I learned how to be vulnerable and trying not to mask every single thing I write with a joke. It has been very, very, very difficult, um, but it is a challenge that I threw myself in and you can only grow when you get outside your comfort zone. So. Wow. Fantastic answer. That's that. We'll, we'll say that that's a winner. Uh, I have not read the book Wild, but I did watch the movie on a international flight and cried mm-hmm. because with that, with that I, anti-masker Reese Witherspoon. She's the star. She yeah, is the star. Movie. Does not wear a mask through the whole movie. I should add. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Read into that what you will. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. You can follow Kelly on Twitter. It's at Kelly Collette, C-O-L-L-E-T-T-E. And you can visit her website at Kelly Collette Comedy dot com. Do you have any upcoming things you want to tell us about? Um, well, my drag work special is coming out in 2022. So if you like clean comedy, please check that out. Um, other things coming up. I'll be in uh, Skyline Comedy Club um, in Appleton, Wisconsin. I'm going to be in Milwaukee in a few weeks. Um, and I have an art page on Instagram. It's something new that I'm trying. So Kelly.Canvas is the art page. Kelly.Canvas. Go check that out. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks so much to Kelly Colette for being my guest. I made a kid take off his mask to say the following. Thank you for listening to The Internet Says It's True. Don't forget to join up on Patreon if you want to see the unedited video of the guest appearance or to hear bonus episodes. You can do that at patreon.com slash Kent. Also, if you learned something that you didn't already know from the show, please visit iTunes and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. That's the rule. You gotta do it. That helps us a ton because that's how the algorithm works to get the podcast suggested to more people. And that way we can keep learning something new if the internet says it's true. The internet says it's true. I'd like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help make this show possible. Sean Brown, Catherine Morgan, Taylor Hurt, Tony Ford, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Matt McVeigh, Jim Martin, Joanne Martin, and the show's official emperor, Kick Track. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge, and additional music this week was from Chopin and Unicorn Heads. All audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under Fair Use Title 17 USC Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Kent. 